Hey, church family. Welcome back to another Leroy UMC podcast. Sometimes it's hard to draw a crowd when they find out the sermon is about Leviticus. But Pastor Matthias does such a great job this week, bringing a new light to some tough passages. Oh, friends, this morning we are continuing with our series for this month, uh, Old Testament Horrors, in which uh, the idea is we are taking a look at some of the heaviest and, I guess, most controversial uh, passages in Scripture and uh, facing them kind of head-on. And as we've said before, the overall point of this series isn't so much to explain away passages so much as it is to spark conversations uh, and questions. Sometimes you have to sit and wrestle with the Word of God to find its grace and truth. Uh, And this morning, we are taking a look uh, at some, I guess, horrific laws uh, from Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 through 13. Friends, listen now for the word of the Lord. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and observe them. I am the Lord. I sanctify you. All who curse father or mother shall be put to death. Having cursed father or mother, their blood is upon them. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. The man who lies with his father's wife has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with a man, as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Consecrate yourselves and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Be holy, for I am holy, God says. Therefore, you shall be holy, you shall be righteous, you shall be pure and devout, a beacon of morality in all that you do, and therefore, all who curse father or mother shall be put to death. Anyone who commits adultery shall be put to death. Anyone who lies with his father's wife shall be put to death. Anyone who lies with an in-law shall be put to death. Any man who lies with a man shall be put to death, along with countless others who shall all be put to death. How do you make sense of laws like that? Where do you find the good news in the thought of killing a teenager because they angrily cursed at their mom or dad? Or of handing out death sentences for broken marriage vows, of stoning, burning, executing people for being drawn to someone society disapproves of? 
There are 613 laws in the Old Testament, but without a doubt, it is the holiness laws of Leviticus that give modern readers the greatest shock and maybe the most horror. And the approach that many 21st century believers take to these laws is to dismiss them, to write them off as obsolete, outdated, barbaric, ancient law codes that are no longer the word of the Lord, if they ever were. And the justification that a lot of believers today have for writing off and just not dealing with these passages is Jesus. These laws don't matter anymore, the intelligent modern Christian says. We have Jesus Christ. What matters is the New Testament, not the Old Testament. And while that is certainly a very simple and very popular solution, it's also not true. Maybe just as troubling for some people is the fact that laws like this exist in the Bible is the fact that Jesus Christ once said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law. Jesus Christ would not dismiss one letter of the Torah law, no matter how disturbing it sometimes can be. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ does not mean that we get a free pass to write off or dismiss parts of the Old Testament that unsettle us. But at the exact same time, being a disciple of Jesus Christ also means we aren't supposed to literally enact some of these laws either. Nowhere in any of the Gospels is Jesus Christ an advocate of stoning or executions, of cruel judgment and condemnation, of legalistic hatred and bigotry. We cannot dismiss Leviticus 20, and we cannot fully live by it either which means that when we read ancient laws like Leviticus 20, the question we have to force ourselves to sit with is not how can I write this off or how can I use this against my neighbor, but the question is why were such horrific laws once the law of God and why are they still the word of the Lord? While we cannot dismiss any part of God's law, it is essential to place these laws in their original context. And maybe the most important thing to know about the context surrounding ancient laws like Leviticus 20 is that historians and biblical researchers today have very good reason to believe that laws like this were most likely not carried out in actual practice. Instead of being a rigid, brutal sentence to be prescribed, there are many researchers who now appreciate that in ancient Israel, biblical laws could sometimes be more about underlying principles and values 
than about prescribing what had to happen in every legal case. When an ancient law code says that a thief has to have their hand cut off, that law may actually be trying to give a sense of the gravity of the crime. When Leviticus says that you must execute someone caught in an affair, Leviticus may not be issuing a literal punishment so much as it is setting a standard for how sacred the marriage covenant is. In actual day-to-day practice, these laws were often more about symbolic standards to rise to rather than brutal sentences to be carried out. Another important piece of context is that the Bible itself shows that the story of God's law is the story of constant revision, adaptation, and change. It's one of the most underappreciated but essential things about God's law that while the foundational principles have always stayed the same, love God, love your neighbor, humility, generosity, and so on, the particular details about how to live that out have shifted and adapted as the people's lived situation has changed. In fact, as one researcher, Matthew Schlimm, points out, The Old Testament doesn't contain just one legal code binding all people at all times, but the Old Testament contains a series of law codes for different times in Israel's history. And that's true. In the Torah alone, there's the Book of the Covenant in Exodus. There's the Holiness Code here in Leviticus, the Priestly Code in Numbers, the Deuteronomic Code in Deuteronomy, and with each new reiteration, the law sometimes revised itself in ways both great and small to speak to new issues. From two slightly different versions of the Ten Commandments to Jesus Christ and the Sermon on the Mount, saying, you have heard it was said, but I say to you, God's law has always possessed a miraculous ability to move with God's people through centuries of change. Leviticus 20 may be more about the principles behind God's law and about God's ability to speak to changing lives in a changing world than it is about literal horrific executions for impurity. Yet maybe the most important thing to keep in mind about biblical laws like Leviticus 20 isn't just the context of symbolism and change, but the reason why these laws exist in the first place, that you might be holy. In Hebrew, the rabbinic name for the book of Leviticus is Torah Kohenim, which means the priest's manual. But the incredible thing is that very few of its laws were directed at the actual priesthood. Instead, the vast majority of this holiness manual was aimed at ordinary men and women. 
the majority of this ancient priest manual was designed to teach ordinary people what it meant to be clean or unclean, to be pure or impure, to be holy or unholy in every part of their daily life. And I mean every part of their daily life. The Leviticus Holiness Code isn't just concerned that you pray in the right way or worship in the right way. Leviticus is concerned with what you eat, with how you harvest your crops, plan your day, how you take care of your animals. Even the clothes that you wear comes up. But the thing is, so far as Leviticus and the ancient Israelites were concerned, there is no part of your life that God does not care about. As brutal as their law codes may seem to us now, the ancient Israelite, or for the ancient Israelites, holiness was something that was meant to shape everything that you do. Holiness and faith were meant to have a say in the hobbies you choose, the friends you keep, the money you spend, the language you use. Every part of your life is supposed to honor God. There isn't even a Hebrew word for religion, because for the ancient Israelites, religion wasn't one particular aspect of your life. Faith was a part of everything. And the ancient laws of Leviticus were an attempt to bring that holiness into every part of your ordinary daily life. Everything you do or say, think or plan, every aspect of your life must be holy, Leviticus says, because every part of your life matters to God. That, I think, is what Jesus Christ would not deny about God's law. No matter how tempted we may be to dismiss or write off passages that trouble our modern ears. And that is what Leviticus 20 forces us to sit with and think through, no matter how eager we may sometimes be to turn the page. Be Holy, our God says, in whatever you do, in whatever you plan, in whoever you become, be holy because I am holy and I care about you. Yes, it's true. At its worst, Leviticus can be a deeply troubling ancient law code that requires very careful thought to understand, and that naive crusaders have sometimes ripped out of context in order to hurt people, to shun, to shame, or even attack people who needed grace rather than antiquated judgment. These laws can never be separated from the context of symbolism and change that produced them, but beneath the difficulty, beneath the horror at its best, Leviticus is an ancient attempt to make every part of life holy. At its best, Leviticus bears witness to a God whose eternal desire is to bring 
something sacred, something beautiful into every single aspect of our lives, the way we eat, the way we spend money, the way we treat our parents, because there is no part of life that our God is not interested in, and there is no part of you that our God does not care about. Yes, what it looks like to be holy has changed over the centuries. The story of God's law is the story of change, and the history of holiness is a history of reinterpretation. The cruel command that everyone who curses father or mother shall be put to death is no longer fully applicable. The inhuman law that everyone caught in an affair be put to death is no longer appropriate for our time. The law that every man caught with a man should be put to death is not what holiness looks like today. Many things have changed, and what once was holy may today seem like a horror. But the incredible, miraculous thing is that through centuries of change, God's law has always moved with us because through centuries of change, our God's call to consecrate yourselves and be holy for I am the Lord your God has not changed. That is why such seemingly horrific laws were once the law of God. That is why such unnerving words are still the word of the Lord. And when all is said and done, that may be the good news that Leviticus bears witness to. That no matter what comes or what holiness looks like for us, our God's desire for you to be holy is always there, calling us to be something more. And in an ever-changing world, our God's loving concern for every bit of your life may be the one constant. Consecrate yourselves and be holy, our God says, for I am the Lord your God and I care about you. And thanks be to God for it. Amen. Friends, Please pray with me. Holy God, in every law that you give, in every commandment you revise, in every truth you bring, God, in all things, may you make us holy. Lord, help us to sit with your ancient laws and commands. Grant us the patience to turn them over and over again. Grant us the curiosity to question, the humility to learn, and Lord, give us the wisdom to see the holiness behind the horror. God, as we approach this new season of Lent, this season when we recommit ourselves to you, Lord, help us to think through what it is to be holy every hour of our day, and let faith reshape and reform every bit of our lives, that we might become a holy people, reflecting your grace and your love for us. In Christ Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Again, we want to thank you for listening. From us here at Leroy UMC, be blessed and go in peace.